it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We have a great one coming up uh, in the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We're going to talk about a new book called Radical Humility, which is a collection of essays on ordinary acts edited by uh, Rebecca Modrak and uh, Jamie Vanderbrook. And they'll be joining me by phone uh, during the third half of our three-hour tour. Coming up in hour two, just an hour away, we're going to be talking with um, National Geographic writer and editor Erica Engelhaupt, who has put together a, a really fun book called Gory Details, Adventures from the Dark Side of Science. But we're going to look at the uh, lighter side of science this first hour, with my uh, guest who joins me by phone. He um, has uh, written a book called, uh, or he's uh, co-author of a book called Ending Parkinson's Disease. His name is uh, Dr. Ray Dorsey, and he joins me by phone. Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Tom. Um, that's a pretty, uh, pretty brazen title, Ending Parkinson's Disease. Um, is it possible to end, or is it something that's that's preventable in some way, curable in others? 
Yes. So uh, actually, the original title of the book was called The Parkinson's Pandemic uh, because Parkinson's disease today is the world's fastest growing brain disease, even faster than Alzheimer's. And we wrote, uh, we changed the book because we wanted a more optimistic title because we think we can prevent uh, uh, Parkinson's disease. We can advocate for additional resources. We can care for everyone affected and treat the disease with novel therapies. And if we do all that, a P-A-C-T, this PAC can help us end the disease. And, and what exactly is Parkinson's disease, and, and what are some of the uh, symptoms and characteristics? So classically, a Parkinson's disease is a disease that results in a tremor, usually in a hand uh, that shakes at rest, slowness in movement, a shuffling gait, and difficulties uh, with, uh, with increased stiffness. It was first described by Dr. James Parkinson uh, in 1817 and in London, at which time it was an extraordinarily rare disease. And today, um, 1.2 million Americans uh, have Parkinson's. Is this something that, that begins later in life, or is this something that can affect younger people as well? Um, so the disease... Uh, most commonly occurs in individuals over 50, uh, but it can have onset uh, in your 30s or 40s. If you think about Michael J. Fox, for example, developed a Parkinson's disease uh, in his 30s. Yeah. And like cancer and like other diseases, we think the disease unfolds uh, over many years, if not decades, and it only becomes apparent as we uh, age. You mentioned Michael J. Fox, and the first person came to my mind, um, but I'm kind of an old guy, um, is uh, um, uh, Catherine Hepburn. So Catherine Hepburn had a different uh, neurological disease, likely. Um, she had a tremor that was more in her head and in her voice and a little bit in her hands. That's called a central tremor, uh, quite common as people get older, um, uh, but unlike uh, Parkinson's disease, doesn't have as many of these other associated symptoms, such as prominent difficulty walking, prominent difficulty with balance, depression, anxiety, constipation, loss of smell. But for some reason, I, I associate her with Parkinson's, and I can only think of two people that, that came to mind. How common, um, you, you say it's uh, increasing, how common is Parkinson's disease? Yeah, so it's, it's about over 6 million people. So uh, Alan Alda, Pope John Paul II, um, Senator Johnny Isaacson from Georgia. The reason we had uh, two elect electing two senators in Georgia this past uh, November was because one of the senators had uh, Parkinson's disease and had to uh, uh, retire. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne, uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, Davis Finney, Brian Grant, uh, Catherine Hepburn. I mean, not Catherine Hepburn. You got me asking uh, <laughs> Linda Ron Linda Ronstadt. Uh, you know, we wrote in the book. Uh, you know, singers and songwriters, baseball players, football players, uh, capitalists and communists, uh, all all are affected uh, by Parkinson's disease. Today, 200 people, 200 Americans will be diagnosed with the condition. How does it? Um, how how does the onset happen? Is it? Um, I don't know. Some kind of breakdown of. Uh, um, the body, or is there some environmental cause? Yeah, so we think, uh, we've, and we've known that only a small minority of people have a family history of the disease, about 10 to 15%, and only about 10 to 15% have an identifiable genetic risk factor. Um, and this really smart German pathologist, Heiko Brock, in 2003, wrote a paper in which he said that Parkinson's disease, which we classically think of as a 
brain or neurological disease, he says it might not begin in the brain and then it might begin either in the nose or the gut. So Parkinson's a brain disease beginning in the nose or the gut, and that was pretty novel in 2003. And it turns out that numerous environmental risk factors, including pesticides that we breathe in or we consume or contaminated groundwater from a chemical called trichloroethylene or TCE uh, that we consume by drinking or we can actually inhale the chemical if we work with it, might be some of the environmental risk factors that are driving uh, the, the rise in Parkinson's disease. Ray, I mentioned you were one of the co-authors of this book. Who were the other authors, and how how did the the group come together to to put this book together? It's like a musical band. Um, so uh, the co-authors are Dr. Todd Sher. He's a neuroscientist who, in 2000, uh, demonstrated that chronic exposure to a certain pesticide reproduced the features of Parkinson's disease in mice. Uh, Todd is now the CEO of the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Um, Michael Oaken is a Parkinson's uh, specialist who's the, one of the world's experts in surgical treatments of Parkinson's disease, and uh, he's the medical director for the Parkinson's Foundation. And then Boss Bloom is also a Parkinson's specialist in the Netherlands who's developed the largest integrated care program for Parkinson's disease in the world. Is it the result of, um, is Parkinson's the result of actual um damage to the neurological system, or is it uh, deterioration? And in, in, I'm not we, even sure exactly how to ask the question, Ray. Sure. We think that the pathology, the first signs of the disease, are due to damage to nerve cells, and those, those nerve cells that are first damaged are almost certainly in the nose. So just like, you know, COVID-19, you know, one of the first symptoms of COVID-19 is actually before a fever or a cough is loss of smell. So just like COVID-19 enters in through the nose and the respiratory tract, we think that many uh, causes of Parkinson's disease in, begin and enter in through the nose, and that includes pesticides and this chemical called TCE or even air pollution. Um, and that, that damage then spreads backwards uh, up into the brain. And, and it happens on a cellular level? This isn't something that happens to the bone structure or musculature? Yeah, so it's the actual nerve cells that are uh, damaged. So many of these chemicals are actually, so pesticides, we'll take pesticides as an example, uh, are nerve toxins. Um, and so they work by killing the nerves of the pests that we don't want to have. They also kill our nerves. Um, and so they damage the energy-producing parts of uh, nerve cells and damage those nerve cells. And that damage can spread from one nerve cell to another you know, it's not too like, you know, you're in Flint, Michigan, you know, you had lead contaminating your right. water, and lead is a, is a nerve toxin, uh, too, and people are drinking that water, and that lead is causing damage, you know, to developing brains, uh, for example. The same thing is happening in Parkinson's, as we, we think, that people, instead of drinking lead-contaminated water, are drinking pesticide-contaminated water, or uh, water that's contaminated with this chemical called TCE, and instead of causing, you know, um, developmental abnormalities in children is laying the foundations for future development of Parkinson's disease. Well, one of the things that we that we learned about uh, lead poisoning, at least with the the Flint water crisis, was that after a fairly short time, um, the effects of lead move from blood into bone. Um, yeah. it, it, and. I, I guess I'm I'm curious about with Parkinson's how you would go about diagnosing someone with Parkinson's. Is it based on on the symptoms, or are there 
blood tests and, and other tests that can confirm the, the presence of it. So right now it's based on symptoms, and so just like you go to a neurologist or an internist and they'll find that you have a tremor and they'll ask you about your symptoms and they observe you and examine you and that's how it's done. There is a fancy imaging test that's done for some people if there's some uncertainty about the diagnosis, but <coughs> excuse me, most of the time it's done um, by examination. That's... Um that's interesting because in in some cases, and and we've certainly seen this with COVID nineteen and uh, and the flu, some of the symptoms overlap. Is is it possible to misdiagnose someone with Parkinson's because you're going by the symptoms and not um, actually identifying at the cellular level the existence? Tom, we're perfect. Uh, no, so indeed, if we're wrong, uh, so we're wrong. Even suppose experts like me are wrong at least 10% of the time, and so it's um, problematic, and we need need better diagnostic tools uh, for the disease so we can give people accurate and informative diagnoses. Is that something that you uh, advocate for in the book? Do you talk about uh, the future of, of testing for, or uh, even more importantly, uh, finding Parkinson's early? Yeah, so if we had better measures of the disease, we can get better treatments. Um, so just like, uh, why do we have great measures for certain diseases, like HIV? Uh, we have a lot of treatments, and HIV now has a near-normal life expectancy because we have really good measures of the disease. We can measure the level of viruses in the blood. We can measure the blood cells that are damaged by HIV. And then if you give someone a new treatment, you can quickly see, does that decrease the amount of virus in the blood? or does that lead to greater survival of blood cells? If we have better measures of Parkinson's disease, we can have better treatments faster. And this is um, a disease that, that um, people actually catch in some way. You, you said it's um, not overly common uh, for it to be genetically, uh, a person might be genetically predisposed uh, to getting it. So just like cancer, we think there are multiple different ways you can get or catch uh, Parkinson's disease. You know, some cases of breast cancer are overwhelmingly genetic, and just like some cases of Parkinson's disease are over, overwhelmingly genetic. But that just makes up a very small proportion of them. We think that people get uh, Parkinson's disease, so to speak, uh, through environmental exposure. So we know, for example, farmers are at 150% increased risk for developing the disease. We know people who drink their water from wells are at 50 to 100% increased work risk for developing the disease. We know people who work with this, this decreasing chemical called TCE are at 500% increased risk uh, for developing the disease. So we have lots of clues as to what's uh, fueling the rise of Parkinson's disease. And if we address those clues, if we get rid of those chemicals, if we test our uh, groundwater, we can prevent people from ever developing this debilitating condition in the first place. Ray, I have to take a short break here, but I'm fascinated by this, and I want to talk some more. Can you stick around for a few minutes? My pleasure. Great. My guest is Dr. Ray Dorsey, one of the authors of Ending Parkinson's Disease. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is uh, one of the authors of a book called Ending Parkinson's Disease. Um, His name is Dr. Ray Dorsey, and he joins me by phone. Ray, welcome back. Thank you very much. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. My pleasure. Um, you mentioned in the last segment that uh, one of the co-authors, Todd, is is now uh, heading up the um, Michael J. Fox uh, Parkinson's Foundation. Um, and, yeah. and you talked about Michael J. Fox as being an example of someone who got Parkinson's disease at a younger age. And yet some of the things you were describing just before the break about people at risk... Uh, farmers and other people who work with chemicals often are at risk of uh, developing. Um, would you call this a, a, a neurological disorder or a neurological disease? Yeah, I think you would say neurological disorder and neurological disease. That's either one's fine. It's not just the people who work with these chemicals. So, uh, for example, farmers are at increased risk, but so are people who live in rural areas. And 40 million Americans, one of it, every eight Americans gets their water from a private well. And those wells tend to be in rural areas and tend to be susceptible to wash off of pesticides that can contaminate their groundwater. And then they can be drinking well water for years unknowingly that it's contained with pesticides. Trichloroethylene, this degreaser, so you don't just need to be a mechanic or in the dry cleaning industry to get exposed to it. It contaminates up to 30% of groundwater in the United States. In Michigan alone, there are thousands of contaminated industrial sites with TCE. A TCE can contaminate groundwater and actually evaporate from the ground and enter people's homes, schools, and workplaces undetected. And so people can be exposed to this chemical, breathing it in for years, never knowing it, and only 20, 30, 40 years later developing a Parkinson's disease. And you said in the last segment that a small percentage of, of people get the de- disease um, through genetics, or they're genetically predisposed to getting the disease. Is Michael J. Fox one of those examples as opposed to some of the people that are higher risk because of their proximity to certain kinds of chemicals? Yeah, so I don't know uh, Michael J. Fox's uh, genetic status. That would be a good question uh, for him. But we know that many of these uh, genes have known interactions for pesticides. So if you take smoking and lung cancer, you know, everyone knows that smoking causes lung cancer, but only 10% of smokers actually develop lung cancer. So there have to be other genetic or environmental factors that determine whether someone who smokes eventually develops lung cancer. And not every farmer develops Parkinson's disease. So there have to be some other genetic and environmental factors uh, that account for which farmers, for example, develop Parkinson's disease and which don't, or which people exposed to contaminated groundwater, whether it's lead or TCE, uh, develop you know, uh, childhood developmental abnormalities or later Parkinson's disease. Is there research being done on causation, or is that something that you and your co-authors call for in the book? Yeah, not nearly enough. Uh, You know, I think um, we've learned from COVID, we have no cures for COVID, you know, a a year and a half uh, into this, but we have a treatment that's going to prevent people from ever developing it. We don't have cures for polio, but we have treatments, uh, vaccines that can help us prevent it. We don't have a cure for HIV, but we know how to prevent uh, the disease from ever happening, at both through changes in sexual practices and through some medications. Uh, so what we call for in the book is the best way to handle any disease, whether it's HIV, whether it's COVID, 
or whether it's Parkinson's disease, it's to prevent the disease from happening in the first place. As I said at the outset, I don't want to be cured of Parkinson's disease. I never want to have it. Uh, and the easiest way to prevent people from uh, getting the disease is to ban some of these chemicals that we know are uh, contributing to an increasing rate of uh, Parkinson's disease. But are there um, agencies or, or foundations and organizations that are working to that end that are lobbying for those kinds of bans? Yes, the Michael J. Fox Foundation is, and, and I, the National Institutes of Health are, are spending some resources, but it's not nearly enough. Uh, uh, at the same time, the number of Americans with Parkinson's has increased 35% in the last decade. Funding from the National Institutes of Health for Parkinson's Research adjusted for inflation has actually decreased. So you have the world's fastest growing brain disease, and then you have research funding from the largest funder of research in the world decreasing when you adjust for inflation. That's not going to get it done. And and that's I'm I'm always fascinated by when I hear statistics about something that that's growing. Um, is it is it actually there are more cases happening, more people getting exposed, or are we getting better at identifying it? We're probably getting a little bit better at, di- at identifying it, just like we are every disease. Uh, but what's really happening is we think that many, many, many more individuals are getting exposed. They're not just getting exposed in the United States. They're getting exposed in Canada, which has the highest rates of Parkinson's disease per population of any country in the world. They're getting exposed in China, where the rates of Parkinson's disease have more than doubled over the last 25 years. Um, so this isn't just a problem in the United States. It's a global uh, phenomenon. That's why we initially called this a Parkinson's pandemic, um, and we need to start acting like that. And with these increases, it, it sounds like the places that have the most cases tend actually to be in um, countries where a large percentage of the population lives in rural areas. We think the biggest thing is that the biggest thing is that uh, is people who live in industrialized uh, economies. So numerous products and byproducts of the industrial revolution, including air pollution, synthetic uh, pesticides, and industrial chemicals, have all been linked to the disease. Indeed, if we go back to Dr. James Parkinson when he was describing the condition in London in 1817, what's going on in London in 1817? Well, England's the capital of the Industrial Revolution, and 1817 is the peak of it. And the London fog in 1817 had everything to do with air pollution. And so we think that the origins of Parkinson's disease uh, are strongly tied to the Industrial Revolution. And as countries industrialize, you find high rates of disease, for example, in U.S., Canada, and Western Europe, low rates of the disease in less industrialized countries like Africa, and high aim. Uh, rapidly increasing rates of the disease in industrializing countries like China and India. Is there, with regard to the symptoms, um, is is there a, a way that, that the disease unfolds? It starts with a certain symptom and then progresses to other symptoms. In, in other words, are there early signs for diagnostic purposes. Yes, remember that German pathologist Heiko Brock in 2003 who said the disease doesn't begin in the brain, it begins in the nose and potentially in the gut. And so it turns out, you know, years or decades before people develop the classic tremor that people think about with Parkinson's disease, they develop loss of smell. 
and they develop constipation. And these findings are found in about 80% of people. And so people who have a lost a sense of smell, you know, are at increased risk for developing Parkinson's disease often years or decades uh, later. But how would someone know to, to actually say to their doctor, you know, hey, doc, I, I think you need to check me out for uh, early onset Parkinson's disease? Well, the... Um, they can read the book, and we give you lots of clues. So you know, if you can't smell your if, if if you can't smell if you can't smell your morning cup of coffee anymore, um, that would be a, a concerning sign, not just for Parkinson's, but for other neurological diseases uh, that we think might also enter in uh, through the nose. You know, I wouldn't say that everyone who's got constipation needs to go uh, make an appointment with their neurologist. Uh, but if you, you know, a lot of your listeners grew up in farming areas, a lot of your listeners uh, drink well water, a lot of your uh, uh, listeners worked with TCE and know how bad of a chemical that can be. And if they start developing these symptoms, impaired sleep, acting out your dreams at night, a loss of smell, constipation, depression, anxiety, slowness of movement, all these are early features uh, of the disease and uh, they would warrant uh, evaluation by a physician. And does treatment... Um change depending on how advanced the disease is? Yes, and the best thing we can do is prevent the disease. So the best, one of the best treatments for Parkinson's disease is exercise, and exercise, vigorous exercise in your 40s, 50s, and 60s can decrease your risk of ever developing Parkinson's disease, and it's very beneficial for people with the disease, and likely for those people who are worried about loss of smell and early exposure to pesticides, I would recommend that they do vigorous exercise because vi exercise might protect those nerve cells that might be dying off. I've, you know, I've read that that smoking can um, cause uh, a decrease in in the ability to taste and smell things, and I just wonder how many times people dismiss symptoms because they believe they can attribute it to something else. Um, I don't know. Um, I think a lot can. It turns out smoking actually decreases your risk for Parkinson's disease. Now, I don't want anyone out there smoking because <laughs> if you want to have a short life, smoking is the way to get there, but smoking actually decreases your risk of Parkinson's disease by about 40%, and we don't know why, but it might interfere, for example, with the entry of these chemicals into the nose or the gut because smoking changes the nose and the gut flora, the gut microbiome, the bacteria in the gut, um, but we don't know uh, why that is. Um, is there, has there been a lot written about Parkinson's or is this something that, um, the, the public really doesn't know very much about? Uh, I think it's the latter. Um, and hopefully that's why you're having me on the show. Uh, you know, well, that's exactly so why, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I'll give you an example. So um, we've encountered other diseases in the past, and what's changed the course of these diseases is uh, activism. So in 1938, ordinary Americans begin, began mailing in their dimes into the White House to raise money uh, to develop what became a vaccine for polio uh, 16, years, 16 years later, and that was the March of Dimes. In 1981, we were confronted with an unknown, uniformly uh, fatal uh, disease um, and a new virus. And in that setting, a group of HIV activists adopted a motto of silence equals death. And for too long, the Parkinson's community has been too nice and too silent, and that silence has led to suffering, needless and preventable suffering. 
so today we're actually launching We Give a Dime a campaign. Uh, we're asking thousands of Americans uh, to mail in a letter uh, to the White House uh, asking the President of the United States to ban the chemicals linked to Parkinson's disease, to make uh, Medicare's coverage of telemedicine permanent so anyone anywhere can receive care, and to increase research funding for Parkinson's disease. And people can participate in that campaign by going to our website, endingpd.org. Uh, um, with, uh, with Parkinson's and, um, and, and public awareness, isn't it that a lot of people have just assumed that like Alzheimer's, it, it's something that just happens in some people as they age? And, and don't realize the environmental risks that exist? Exactly. So we say Parkinson's disease is not inevitable, it's preventable. Parkinson's disease is not an inevitable consequence of aging. Not everyone who uh, gets to 70 or 80 develops Parkinson's disease. And indeed, early Americans like George Washington and Ben Franklin, none of those guys had Parkinson's disease and they lived into their 60s, 70s, and 80s. So Parkinson's disease is not an inevitable consequence of aging. It's a preventable disease to a large extent, and we need to take actions to prevent people from ever developing the disease in the first place because no one, no one wants to spend the last 15 to 20 years of their life with the disease or caring for someone with the disease. Does, um, does Parkinson's or can Parkinson's shorten life? Yes, so it does. It's the, it shortens life expectancy by, by, by about three years. Um, it's the 14th leading cause of death in the United States. A hundred Americans will die with Parkinson's disease today. Um, and once a person has Parkinson's disease, and, and assuming that it's gone ignored for some period of time, um, I, I understand that the best way to deal with Parkinson's is to avoid getting it to begin with. That's true of everything, really. Um, but is it curable once the disease has uh, uh, become prevalent? No. And very, very few diseases are. Alzheimer's disease isn't curable. Lung cancer, not curable. The vast majority of diseases that we care for uh, in the world are not curable. Uh, so we need to take uh, measures to prevent people from ever getting the disease in the first place. We've done that for lung cancer. We've done that for HIV. We've done that for polio. We need, we, we're doing that for COVID. We now need to do that for Parkinson's disease. Are there, um, now obviously the book is a great place to start, and I, I suspect there probably aren't a lot of books like it, um, although there may be some. And, and that's really the nature of the question is where, where can people learn more about Parkinson's? Um, so there are, uh, in the book we provide, and on our website, endingpd.org, we provide a, a list of resources for people with the disease so they can get the assistance that they need. The Michael J. Fox Foundation, the Parkinson's Foundation, the Davis Finney Foundation, the Brian Grant Foundation are all great resources uh, to provide you uh, help for people who have the disease. If people have questions, they can email us direct, directly at info at endingpd.org, and we're happy to answer their questions. We'll even give uh, your first two uh, people first two listeners who email us at info at endingpd.org, a signed copy of the book. Um, getting back to the, the environmental causes, are there things that, um, 
that people who work around chemicals, and I'm, I'm thinking of farmers, but there are other um, uh, professions that put people in the path of, of chemicals and certainly uh, uh, air pollution and so on. Um, but does wearing a mask mitigate the uh, possibility of contracting Parkinson's? Yes, yeah, so just like there's PPE or personal protective equipment that pre- prevents, you know, healthcare workers from getting COVID and all of us, you know, a mask prevents all of us from getting COVID. There's PPE that prevents, you know, farmers and industrial workers from ever getting, uh, from minimize, uh, to minimize exposure to the harmful chemicals that they might be working with. And so it's, it's really important that people learn about the things that can lead to Parkinson's disease in the way of um, environmental factors and then protect themselves against it if if it's necessary that they keep working in that environment the use of ppe for example where maybe they didn't do it before asbestos was one of those things yes and it's also important that employers who might know more about the dangers of the chemical provide that ppe and train those individuals in in uh, the use of that ppe you know you know, groundskeepers on golf courses are exposed to pesticides. Obviously, you know, the pesticide applicators and the people who maintain your lawns that are weed-free are using chemicals and pesticides, some of which have been linked uh, to Parkinson's disease. So these things are around us uh, everywhere we go. We just need to be uh, more cognizant of it and take actions to minimize our exposure to them. I, I, You know, I hadn't even thought about golf courses until you mentioned it, and I think that's why it's important to have... Um, this information out there because even the golfers themselves could be at risk. Yeah, so we uh, there's one study that found that there was a cluster of individuals who uh, developed Parkinson's who all lived around a golf course, and that and the individuals who lived downwind of the golf course appear appeared to be particularly at risk for developing Parkinson's disease. Uh, last week I spoke with a longtime groundskeeper who worked uh, on a golf course using pesticides, including this one pesticide called chlorpyrifos. Uh, that's been linked uh, to Parkinson's disease. Uh, so these things are around us uh, everywhere we go. Uh, they're in the food we eat. They're in many cases in the water we drink. They're in the air that we breathe. And if we get some clean air, some clean water, uh, and some clean food, uh, we can decrease our risk of ever developing the disease. Well, it's um, fascinating uh, information. And the book is, uh, is called Ending Parkinson's Disease. Once again, do you want to mention uh, the other authors, Ray? Uh, Dr. Ray Dorsey, my guest, is, is one of, is it three or four authors of the four book? Four of us. Dr. Todd Scheer, uh, this linked uh, pesticide exposure to Parkinson's in mice. is now the CEO of the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Michael Okins, the chair of neurology at the University of Florida and one of the leading surgical ex- experts on the surgical treatment of Parkinson's. And Boston Bloom is in the Netherlands uh, and a uh, world's expert in uh, providing multidisciplinary care to people with Parkinson's disease. If people want to learn more about the book, they can go to endingpd.org. If they have questions, they can just email us at info at endingpd.org, and your first two listeners will be happy to give them a signed copy of the book. They just need to give us their address, and we'll do so. And if people are fired up and frustrated and don't want to have Parkinson's affect them or their families, they can join our campaign, mail a postcard to the White House today. We'll even send you the postcard. Uh, they can just go to endingpd.org. Um, thank you for that information, Ray. And, and uh, is, the, is the book out now, or is it due to come out? Yeah, the paperback version of the book comes out uh, today. Uh, you can order on Amazon or whatever your favorite uh, bookstore is. 
and all the authors, all four of us, are donating all of our proceeds to end uh, Parkinson's disease. I'm donating my efforts to investigating a cluster of people with Parkinson's disease in Rochester, New York, that we think might be linked to the chemical TCE. The sooner we can find out what's causing the world's fastest growing brain disease, the sooner we can get rid of it, uh, just like we're doing with COVID. And, and is um, labeling and signage something that could help people be better aware that they're coming into contact with uh, things that, that cause this kind of a danger? So, uh, yes, uh, but, you know, I think, you know, the easiest way to get rid of lung cancer was to stop smoking. You know, signage on the uh, cigarette packages, you know, is helpful uh, and can be helpful. But TCE was created in the 1920s. Uh, few of us drive cars or fly airplanes from the 1920s because we have engineers have got us safer cars and safer airplanes. I think chemists can get us safer chemicals than, uh, you know, TCE from the 1920s. One of the pesticides that's most strongly linked to Parkinson's disease was developed in the 1950s. It's called paraquatic, kills the weeds that Roundup can't. You know, I think we can have chemists come up with safer pesticides that, that can be used, or maybe no pesticides at all, um, and protect us all from having it. Well, Ray, thank you so much for uh, sharing this information and uh, for your efforts uh, on behalf of people with uh, Parkinson's. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much for having me, and thank you very much for giving a voice for the 1.2 million Americans who suffer with this disease. All right, take care. Again, that was uh, Dr. Ray Dorsey, one of the authors of a book called Ending Parkinson's Disease. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. We're going to take a short break here, and then we'll have some comedy and music. But coming up uh, a little later in the show, next hour, in fact, um, we had to we had to make a change from what was posted on Facebook as uh, scheduled for today's show. Uh, James, uh, I think it's Cumanano. Uh, I, I I'm not sure I'm saying that right, but he's the author of I Can See Clearly. He was scheduled to be a guest and had something last minute so a recent conversation that hadn't been scheduled yet with uh, National Geographic writer and editor Erica Engelhaupt will uh, will be featured next hour um, she's uh, compiled a book called gory details for National Geographic it's uh, adventures from the dark side of science it's really quite a fun conversation i think you'll enjoy it so stay tuned for that and uh, as i mentioned earlier in the show coming up in the uh, third hour of our three-hour tour uh, a collection of essays on ordinary acts is uh, contained in a new book called radical humility uh, edited by rebecca modrak and jamie vanderbrook they will be my guests during the uh, third half of our three-hour tour today known as the Tom Sumner program but in the meantime if you're listening to us on uh, WFOV our voices radio in Flint 92.1 LPFM they are a broadcast service of the uh, Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break if you're streaming us at uh, TomSumnerProgram.com we have some messages as well so don't touch that dial don't click that mouse we're going to have lots more of the Tom Sumner program
coming up straight ahead. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. 
TheTomSumnerProgram.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. The doctor was looking at the x-ray and I asked him, what do you see? And he kept on looking at the x-ray as he said in French to me, I see bones, I see gizzards and bones and a few kidney stones. Among the lovely bones I see hips And fourteen paper clips Three asparagus tips Among the lovely bones I see things in your peritoneum That belong in the British I see your spine And your spine looks divine It's exactly like mine Now doesn't that seem strange? And in case You use pay telephones There's two dollars in change Among your lovely bones This x-ray. It's really remarkable. Isn't the lumbar vertebrae supposed to be connected to the clavicle? Well, I know, but it's scotch tape. Hey, look what's in there. Look at that. It's a stamp. It's a 1922 McKinley Ultramarine Blue. Within perfect perforations, I've got to get that out and put it in my collection. Look in there, there's printing. What does it say in there? U.S. Certified Grade A. Look at this, it's fascinating. See those little round things? You know what those are? Those are M&Ms. Those people are right, they don't melt. Doctors, oh those doctors! <laughs> I went to I went to one while he was examining me. He grabbed me by the wallet and he said, "Cough." <laughs> I 
wonderful doctor. Gave a man six months to live, couldn't pay his bill, gave him another six months. <laughs> doctor called a lady, Mrs. Cohen, your check came back. She said, yes, so did my arthritis. <laughs> a, little man, a little man walks in the doctor, said, doctor, I've been ringing my ear. What'll I do? He said, don't answer. Another man walked in the doctor. He said, you're going to live to be 60. He said, I am 60. what I tell you. Man goes to the doctor. He says, doctor, I'm having trouble at home with my love life. What'll I do? He said, take off 20 pounds. Run 10 miles a day. Man calls him two weeks later. Doc, took off the 20 pounds. I've been running 10 miles a day. Well, how's your love life? Out at home, 140 miles away. I went to the doctor. I said, Doc, it hurts when I do that. He says, don't do that. He says, get undressed, I'll examine you. I'm standing there naked. He says, go over the window, stick your tongue out the window. I said, for what? He said, I'm mad at my neighbor. The doctor puts a stethoscope to my heart. I said, Doc, how do I stand? He said, that's what puzzles me. I said, Doc, my foot hurts. What'll I do for it? He said, limp. <laughs> he says to me, you're pregnant. I says, how does a man get pregnant? The usual way, a little wine, a little dinner. <laughs> man goes to a psychiatrist. He says, nobody talks to me. He says, next. <laughs> Tonight. Another fellow goes to a psychiatrist. He says, you're crazy. He says, I want a second opinion. You're ugly, too. <laughs> There's a whole new world today. Ethnic jokes. They're around today. They have a new Polish jigsaw puzzle. One piece. Two Santa Clauses, which one is Polish? The one with the Easter basket. <laughs> Ever see a Polish guy whistle for a cab? Taxi?
words and then they say again Oh tension, pressure, pain, oh tension, pressure, pain Headaches, headaches Those sponsors love it when my head aches Mother, don't hand me those pills from the shelf I'd rather do it This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Program, don't you know? Go on. 
Come on, get out of here. <laughs>